What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Av Geek Chronicles podcast. I am your host, Colin, the Chief Av Geek, Aviation Maniac, or whatever you want to call me. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. And I hope everyone is having a fantastic week. Everybody, before we start off the episode uh, today, I have to give a big shout out to all the listeners out there who are a part of uh, Avgeek Nation, who come from all over the world, from the United States to Canada to Europe to Latin America to Asia, who turned into last week's, uh, tuned in, excuse me, to last week's episode. Last week's episode, we just about reached 1,000 downloads. We're just shy a few, um, but I'm sure we'll hit it soon. But, I mean, this was this was really, really big uh, for the podcast, and I'm super, super thankful for all you guys um, out there. Last week's episode uh, has now been the most listened to episode that I have released so far uh, in the life of the podcast. And like I said, I'm super grateful uh, for everybody that's tuned in so far. And I really, really loved having the opportunity to have Sergio on the show because it gave me an opportunity to kind of try something new. We changed it up a little bit and kind of changed the format. And we introduced audience questions into the podcast. It was a huge part uh, of that episode. And we, what we did is we both went out and we posted on our social media channels and we were requesting questions uh, from everybody that follows us. And we got well over probably 35 questions in the few hours that we did it. Um, and it was just really, really cool. Um, and this, the feedback, you know, the questions and the feedback, we, it was just awesome, everything we got back. Um, but I do have to say I'm personally sorry for not being able to get to everybody's questions. Um, there were a lot of questions, and we didn't have all that much time on the episode. Uh, so I'm really sorry to anybody who sent a question in and we responded, uh, but we weren't able to answer all the questions out there. So I'm super, super sorry. But Sergio was an awesome guest. He had a fantastic story, uh, and I was happy that we were finally able to link up uh, due to just his busy schedule as an airline pilot. Um, They have pretty crazy, erratic schedules. So all in all, I just want to give a big thanks, a big shout out to Abgeek Nation out there and all my podcast listeners for tuning in every week and supporting this mission. I mean, it truly means the world to me. I couldn't do it without you guys listening, giving me the comments, giving me the feedback. Um, I mean, it's truly great. And I have to say with the amazing growth uh, in the downloads that we've been seeing on the podcast, I figured, you know, I just have to ask that after today's episode, you head over to the iTunes podcast app, give the podcast a rating, leave your honest feedback on how you felt about today's episode or any episode previously. Because remember, Avgeek Nation, your comments, your suggestions will continue to help grow the Avgeek Chronicles podcast. And guys, like I've said before, the whole purpose, one of the whole purposes of this podcast is just to show that for a lot of you guys coming up in the aviation space, I'm just like you. You know, I'm not the perfect aviator. You know, I've made mistakes. I've gone through you know, different trials and tribulations, you know, trying to reach my aviation goals. And the whole purpose of the podcast is just to chronicle everything, get it out there, try new things, get some information out to help all you, uh, you know, either soon to be aviators or new aviators out there. So I'm telling you, your comments and your ratings are truly appreciated. Your feedback that you sent me is taken. um, And I just appreciate from the bottom of my heart, you being uh, a listener of the podcast, because having you a part of the podcast Um, I mean, that's what makes it so great. 
So, what are we doing today on the podcast? You know, we've been releasing a few episodes of the Ask the IV show, and so today I'm going to try something a little bit new, uh, a little bit off the beaten path, uh, and we're going to go back uh, to a solo podcast. Um, this was a really good idea. Um, I needed to do this one uh, for a long time, um, but you know, we're going to have fun with this. So today, solo podcast, just me and you. Um, so I'm super excited about this. But today's format is going to be new all because of a listener. I'm telling you guys, I love hearing things from other people uh, and especially people reaching out uh, either with questions or comments uh, because like I said, this is how I get some new content as well. And one of my listeners shot me a message uh, over on uh, Instagram DM about how they really, really enjoyed the last episode. Uh, and this listener's name, his name is Isaiah. And at the end of the conversation, he asked a really, really good question. And uh, I'll, here's the question pulled off uh, our Instagram DM. Uh, and that question was, so is there an episode where we get to hear your story and how you got started, your struggles and your story starting off? And I sat there after reading this. I'm like, you know, scratching my head. I'm like, oh, that's a good question. Uh, but I quickly thought to myself and kind of reflected on all these episodes uh, that I've done, and I was like, you know what? I've shared bits and pieces of it, but I've never devoted a whole episode to where this crazy passion with aviation and flying really started. So uh, let me tell you, at least for me, I think it's a pretty crazy and interesting story. You may think it's pretty boring, and which is totally cool, and you can let me know if it's crazy or not. Um, but I think it's a really important story because everybody's story is absolutely different. So Isaiah, thank you so much, A, for being a part of Avgeek Nation and following the podcast and giving it a listen, but I also appreciate your honest feedback and questions. So, and I'm just going to give a quick shout out here uh, for Isaiah, because I think this is really cool that he did this, and so I want to make sure I put him on as well. Um, but if you want to go give Isaiah a follow, he's a fellow aviator, he's going through training, he's getting his private pilot's license, and he ha also has goals uh, of flying commercially uh, in the future. So go over to Instagram, give him a follow. It's at Isaiah, I-S-A-I-A-H, underscore v underscore two go give him a follow uh let him know that i sent him uh your way and make sure you give him a follow uh and give him some words of encouragement too as he continues on his path through his private pilot's license so today isaiah i'm devoting this whole solo podcast episode to answering your question because i thought it was super good um and if any other use uh listeners uh, and people out there following again like i said if you have questions feel free to shoot me a dm over on social media uh, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. Um, and I'm soon to have a Facebook page up devoted strictly to the podcast. Uh, so maybe you can go over there uh, and have a question as well. But I'm doing this because, guys, the whole purpose of my – this really his question and everything. It, it, it's just fitting for the podcast. It's really what do, what do the young aviators out there want? What does everybody want to listen to? Um, so it fits the purpose of the podcast, and that's why I'm going to do it. And – you know, I really want people to understand the journey that I took. You know, you don't have to follow the same journey, but if I kind of document my journey and help you understand the things that I went through and maybe the things that I had to think about or the decisions that I made, um, you know, it's the, the stories like this that you can hear. Um, and it's just like the guests that I chronicle their stories on the episodes uh, as well. Um that can help you. I mean, just listening to the way people went through things, it may be able, you can figure something out uh, or hear something that makes you say, you know what, maybe I need to try that. Um, 
but the only way you figure that out is by documenting your whole journey. So I want my generation to know that if they want to pursue something like aviation, there's absolutely nothing stopping you from going to attain it. So where does Colin's story start exactly? Um, well, to be honest, I don't really know the exact age that I fell in love with aviation, but what I do know is it happened at a very, very young age. I know this because this person who I kind of idolized and I looked up to uh, was an Air Force pilot, uh, and he was married, and they both were very, very, very close uh, neighborhood friends of my parents, and I was uh, play friends uh, with their sons. Um, and the wife uh, took care of uh, me and the two boys uh, when we were little. Um, and so it was a lot of fun. Got to know the family quite well. And so the pilot that I looked up to from a very, very young age, um, the Air Force pilot, his name was Mike Kruger, a.k.a. Mike Freddy Kruger. Yes, haha, get it? Freddy Krueger from the movie. Uh, what uh, The movie, man, it's skipping off the top of my head, but it's that scary movie, you know, Freddy vs. Jason thing. Um, anyways, at a young age, uh, Mike was kind of like the superhero to me. You know, I really looked up to uh, looked up to him. Even though he was just kind of my friend's father, we were young, I, you know, young and silly. You know, we were just kids, so I didn't really think too much about it. I just thought it was cool. Um, and when he'd come home, you know, in the green Air Force flight suit and everything, you know, cut hair uh, and everything, and he'd play airplanes with us. He'd teach us how to fold, uh, fold paper airplanes. That's where I learned to fold a paper airplane. Um, and he just exuded this love of everything planes, and that love of everything planes just really came on to me. Um, you know, it's really sad to say because, unfortunately, Mike is no longer with us. Um, unfortunately, he passed away due to just a freak natural um, accident, and his time was cut very, very short um, with us here on the Earth. But I can tell you, with at least me personally, and I know with many other people in the Air Force, his legacy definitely, it definitely goes on. Um, you know, and I say this legacy keeps going on because he gave me one of the coolest frame pictures I've ever seen. And I don't know when exactly I got this because I got this when I was super young. Um, but it's a pencil drawing uh, of one of the aircraft um, out off at Air Force Base. It was uh, the um, the refueling tankers. Uh, and that was one of the, uh, the aircraft that he flew uh, was the tankers. Uh, and that's what he really meant to me. And I keep that photo uh, with me. It's still, you know, I still have the frame. It's hanging in my house. I still have it. Uh, and I look at it all the time because it's a very, very simple reminder of some of the people you look up to. And he was definitely one of those people. So not only did I have an idol that I seriously looked up to, um, but then I was introduced, as always, like everybody, to this crazy movie uh, by my parents. And that movie, as everyone can guess, was Top Gun. Um, it was that crazy movie, got a lot of young kids stoked about aviation, um, specifically military aviation, uh, because that was what Top Gun was. The problem was, is the military is very, very selective of who they take into flight school, so they can be pretty discriminating, um, because they have to, you know, they have to be very, very selective, because these are multi-million dollar jets, people are flying, um, and doing very serious missions. So... And, and, you know, it's just the cheesy thing. But the movie kept my interest going as I got older. I mean, I watched this movie a hundred times, I swear. Um, and I promise you, when Top Gun 2 comes out next year, I guarantee that it will spark interest back into the youth. I I just feel it again. It's it's kind of like, 
you know, you see these circles, you see it in fashion, you see it in all these trends, you know, they all go in circles. And it's just like Top Gun hit its top. And, you know, the industry needs some life into it. So what happens? Top Gun 2 comes out. And I really think it's going to spark um, the same type of thing that it did uh, when Tom Cruise was in the first one. Um, but it's really fitting since the industry as a whole is kind of seeing the worst shortage of pilots in the, his, the business's history. Um, so, you know, I'll be there uh, on the premiere night for the movie uh, for sure. But I'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing how many young minds, uh, you know, just get sparked with aviation fuel uh, when the movie comes out in 2020. So be on the look for that. Um, but Top Gun 1 was definitely one of those things for I know for, for a lot of kids. Um, how their interest in aviation sparked. So fast forward, you know, quite a few years uh, into my high school years, and I still wasn't doing anything in aviation or doing anything about it, really. You know, I was playing hockey and other sports, traveling all over the U.S., and then in the spring and summer, you know, I was either playing golf, whether it was for school or for fun, and then training for hockey. That was pretty much my life all throughout high school. Um but that love of aviation and my interest, it never went away. I mean, it was always there. I just never acted on it. I was never in a position to really try it. I never asked for anything. Um, but then I got to visit the campus of University of North Dakota. And if anybody in aviation knows, the University of North Dakota has a very large aerospace college, well, school. Um, and their aviation school, I mean, it's one of the top in the U.S., and the reason why I was on campus is because I was there for a summer hockey camp because I was there training uh, with the school. Um, and by the way, if you've never been to uh, UND in Grand Force, I you should go up there. Don't do it in the winter because the winters there are horrid. But the campus in the summer, I mean, it's really, really beautiful. And I can only imagine what it is uh, in the spring. So that's kind of where, you know, that spark came back uh, was when I was on campus there. And after that, I kept aviation in the back of my mind as a possibility uh, to go into, but I just kind of kept it there, you know, really didn't ask for anything, didn't want to try anything, just kind of kept it there. It was really cool, you know, had the interest, uh, still really looked up to Mike and what he had done, uh, but never really did anything, never acted on it. And I also, over my time uh, playing hockey, I had the opportunity to visit the United States Air Force Academy uh, on many visits because they had a hockey rink on their, uh, on the academy grounds. Um, and we were able to visit the campus on a regular basis. Um, but that was really interesting because it gave me the opportunity to visit the school museum, got to check out um, most of the campus, and really just observe what student life really was. And fascinating thing was I knew the hockey coach as well, and so we got to meet their players, talk to them, and really get a background of what being a cadet at the Air Force Academy was like. Um, and just like UND, I mean, the Air Force Academy is such a beautiful, beautiful campus uh, as well. And that probably has to do a lot because it's on the base of the Rockies. Uh, but the school is incredible. Uh, the campus is incredible. And the education you get there is incredible. Um, and you can fly if you want to in the Air Force. So, of course, it kind of, you know, it sparked my interest, uh, interest as well just because I became very, very familiar with the campus as I grew up. So let's fast forward some more to my time that I was applying for schools uh, in high school. And I applied to multiple schools. But if you can pause and just think before I say anything, you probably can guess my list did not include UND, University of North Dakota, 
or the United States Air Force Academy. Excuse me. So you're probably going to ask, well, why? Why was that? You just talked about UND and the Air Force Academy. Why didn't you not apply? Well, for one, at the age of 18, I didn't think I could have produced a package good enough to get into uh, the United States Air Force Academy. If you, if any of you know what it takes to get into a school like that, you got to produce a pretty good package, one that includes um, government officials that are in recommendations, such as senators or House representatives um, and whatnot. But, you know, you have to have fantastic grades. you got to have fantastic ACT and SAT scores. you got to... Um, you know, you got to be the top of the top in the United States. Um, I even had two classmates in high school. They were sister twins, uh, to be exact, and they got into the academy, and they both went. But let me tell you, these girls were super bright, and they were at the top of the class, which I unfortunately was not. Um, but let's add in the fact that you had to, in high school, of course, here in the U.S., you have to take the ACT and the SAT. Uh, and my scores were also, let's just say, not, not that great. Um, good enough to get me into schools, but not good enough to get into the United States Air Force Academy. Um, and that's just because I personally was, I just was not good at standardized tests. I just couldn't do it. I don't know why. I was a good student. I had a great GPA, um, gr- a long list of extracurricular curricular activities. Um, but it didn't matter how many prep courses I took for the ACT and SAT. I just was not a standardized test taker. Um, but that's okay. You know, not, not everybody is. So in all, you know, 18 was kind of a tough time for me because I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And and looking back, I can really say to everyone that if you're young and you haven't found your passion, don't get down on yourself. I'm serious about that. Most of you out there, you know, if you're young, even in your early twenties, you probably won't find your true passion until you get out and you can try as much of all different kinds of stuff um, as possible, you know. And let's couple this dilemma with the fact that, you know, I kept getting told by people that pilots say they don't make money. Why go to school to become a pilot, pay all that money to, to go to a university and get your pilot's license and then make a mediocre pilot's wage because back then, you know, it kind of had some validity to it. You know, it hasn't been till recently that a lot of this has changed. Um, So it's very recent. And you also have to mix that I was graduating high school in the 08-09 downturn, which it screwed a lot of people. Um, And it screwed with a lot of people, especially, you know, people like our parents. Um, And it affected a lot of people. So in high school, I really tried to try as much as possible, gain experiences in so many different things, whether it be sports uh, or school. And there were two other areas that kind of popped up in uh, in high school that I really enjoyed, and that was marketing and architecture. Again, they have nothing to do with aviation, but this is just part of the story, right? You know, because I was dissuaded out of flying due to some of the reasons that I was talking about earlier. Like I said, I didn't apply to UND, and I didn't apply to USA, uh, the United States Air Force Academy, excuse me, otherwise known as USAFA. So I instead, what did I do? I applied to architecture school and I applied to business school. And to be honest, I actually had everything signed away to go to architecture school. I was going to go to Arizona State. Um, And at the last minute, before I had to lock in my choices, I decided to switch. And then I went to business school in my hometown 
um, at Creighton University. You know, I consulted a lot of people in that decision. And in the 0809 downturn, uh, architecture wasn't the, the hottest thing to go into. Uh, and I knew I wanted to work uh, after I left school. So I pulled out of that, which at <laughs> looking back at it was a very, very smart decision for me because I probably wouldn't have liked it anyways. Um, but I went to a school in my hometown called Creighton University, which is not a bad consolation because it's one of the best schools in the Midwest. So looking back on anything, I don't regret the decision that I made uh, because I met a lot of good people. I got to meet my wife, who means the world to me, um, at school. And then I built some amazing friendships, uh, whether it be uh, with my fellow students or with uh, professors. And I held a quite a few internships that, to be honest, I may have never had the opportunity to do if I didn't attend um, the school I did. So, again, you have to take the positive out of it. But looking back at it, you know, school was great and everything. But what I'm doing right now out in the real world, I didn't really learn in my degree, you know. And a lot of you, if you take the college route, you're going to get out there in the world. And it's probably you're probably not going to do what you went to school for. It's just the truth. Uh, unless you're going to be a doctor, dentist, uh, physical therapist, something that actually requires school. Uh, out in the business world, you gain your business experience by working. You don't gain your business experience by going to school. Now, that may be a little different for people like engineers or you know people like that who go back to get their MBAs because they need to understand a little bit about the business world and it'll help them get into more of a business role. But for the vast majority of the kids go to undergraduate for business school, the stuff you're learning is probably going to go to the wayside when you get out and you're going to get your experience from actually doing work. So, I mean, that's just my opinion. And my opinion isn't everyone's opinion, but, you know, I, I feel like it's a pretty strong one. So in my junior year uh, of college, if we fast forward, um, I was given the opportunity to intern with the DOD, which if you don't know what it is, it's the Department of Defense. And I was working at United States Strategic Command, which actually is in Omaha, Nebraska, if you didn't know. And for me, this was a pretty significant internship, not because I got to, you know, I had the opportunity and privilege of holding some of the top clearances that you can get working for the U.S. government because I was around planes and aviation and the people who work with it all day, every day. You know, during lunch, I would go outside and sit in the gazebo eating my lunch, and I would watch the RJs, I would watch the E-4, the E-6, uh, in the pattern and train. I mean, these were truly incredible aircraft. And this really, really brought, again, my spark um, and interest back in the aviation space. So what did I do? I kind of went around and looked into ways that I could help out around the base that involved aviation. I then came across uh, an organization called the Civil Air Patrol. If you don't know what the Civil Air Patrol is, it's a truly amazing program. There's a senior member side. There's a cadet side and both sides. Um, they're really, really good and for young kids. I mean, it's it, now seeing it and, and what it does for them. I mean, it's really a cool program. But at first, I had no idea what this program was about. But, you know, I gave it a try and turned out absolutely loving it. I mean, it was really, really cool. And I met some really cool people. Um, and the training you get is really good, especially if you're wanting to do things in aviation. Um, and today, I'm still a member. 
and uh, here real soon going to be joining a squadron here uh, in the Fort Worth area and hopefully be doing some flight training uh, with the local squadron as well. So big things uh, ahead in that as well. Um, but I enjoyed the program so much that, you know, it brought about this aviation bug. <laughs> and it was, uh, it, was, it was interesting because not only did it bring it, uh, it put, me, uh, put an interest back in the flying world of military flying. So throughout my time on base, I learned a lot. I got a lot of experience. I got to meet a lot of people. Um, it was a joint base, so not just the Air Force, but Army and Navy as well. Um, but what was so cool about my time on base is I got to work on programs that were used on the E-4 and the E-6, which are two aircraft that are based there at Offutt. Uh, I got to meet the crew. I got to step on board the aircraft. Um, I mean, it was truly a very cool, holistic internship. And uh, I mean, it is, again, one of those pieces that really brought my passion and love uh, for aviation. So with that whole experience, you know, what with that, you know, what did I do? What did I do with that experience? Well, you know, somebody in aviation, interested in aviation, you know, toying in the, uh, the military world and learning all about it. I did what any maybe right individual would do. I contacted the local Navy recruiter um, when I was a senior in college. And we set up a time to meet. Uh, we met with him uh, on campus. I met with him at his office. And we started creating a package. If you don't know what a package is, it's basically basically your application um, to the Navy saying that you want to join as an officer. Um, but this was this was kind of at the same time that I was applying for postgraduate jobs, and which is an interesting time because I surprisingly only applied for a few jobs before Christmas, um, and that was all. You know. I, applied for one job in uh, Omaha, didn't get it. I had the job at Offit that I could have continued doing uh, after college, uh, but I chose that's not what I wanted to do. Uh, but that I chose that's not what I wanted to do because I got hired by one of the companies um, that I first applied for, and that company was Textron, the company that I work for now. Um, and Textron is the parent company for Bell Cessna and Beechcraft uh, and all that, the fixed wing side all falls under Textron Aviation. So this was a company within the aviation world. Um, but at the time, you know, um, I was doing some IT work. And so I was thinking, eh, you know, I'm going to go over to the private sector uh, and do uh, IT work and hopefully work for one of the aviation brands. And when I received my offer, you know, the offer I got, it was literally a no brainer for me because the money was great. I was a new grad. I hadn't seen money like that. You know, I was working internships and jobs here and there in college. Um, and it was, I mean, it was something that the average person wouldn't turn down. And, you know, it was, it really gave me this big sense of pride, you know, landing my first job because it was one of the few jobs I had applied for and I had the opportunity to sign the contract for it. Uh, but like I said, this job was in the IT field. Um, and I think at the time, I didn't really understand the difference between how life in the DOD is so much different than the private sector. Um, but I had, you know, I knew I had some loans I had to pay back. Um, I had a great opportunity to move out of state, and I would pretty much lived and went to school in Nebraska for 22 years. So what did I do? I dropped 
the Navy package and I, you know, I took the job and I moved to Dallas, Texas to start with Bell Helicopter, which is what it was called at the time. Now it's just called Bell. You know, this was an amazing, amazing experience for me because, you know, I got to see the private side of how business uh, works. But, you know, I had a sense that I was kind of missing something because I thought life in the IT world and what I was doing on the aviation assets for the Air Force, I thought that was going to be kind of the same way um, over on the private sector, but I was proved wrong very, very quickly. Um, uh, So, you know, I was just missing something um, in my IT time. You know, I loved aviation and I loved working for a company like Bell, but it was just this sense to me that IT really wasn't where I wanted to go with my career. I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. Um, and it wasn't, um, because I wanted to be closer to the product. I wanted to be closer to the flying asset and I wanted to be closer to the people who actually fly them. Um, and that's really the part that I was missing. So being that we kind of, we make military products, we had the V-22s, um, that visited us and, you know, you get to see all the different military products that we create. So what happened? The Navy package came back to me again for the second time. I'm thinking, I'm like, well, you know, I started it once. Maybe I tried again. Maybe I really should try this aviation thing. And it kind of took me some time uh, to do it, but I took a step forward. So what did I do? In Dallas, I contacted the local Navy recruiter, and we recreated the package uh, and got signed up to take the Navy ASTB. If you don't know what the ASTB is, this is the Aviation Selection Test battery. Basically, it's the test that gives the Navy a sense of how you're going to be not just as an officer, but as a pilot candidate as well. Um, And surprisingly, this was the first standardized test that I did very, very well in. Um, I scored very well in. I didn't really study all that much. Um, I studied a little bit, you know, just the basic kind of stuff. Um, But a lot of the knowledge I really had because I was passionate about aviation. So the aviation part did fairly well um so well that you know i remember correctly that the recruiter after we took the test and my package was all together he actually wanted me to move forward and submit the package like literally asap because to him it was a very strong package and the selection date uh, was coming up for um the aviation um you know part um but unfortunately This also coincided with the time that I was going to move because I was coming to the end uh, of my time at Bell and I was going to have to move to uh, Illinois. And I had to move because it was my next rotation. So just like the first time uh, back in Omaha, I I kept the package and I moved uh, to Illinois because I had to go. Um, So kind of let's flash forward to my time in Illinois. and again, the thought was, you know, this is, it was very, very clear that IT was just not something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Uh, and it was a very serious conversation that I had to have with myself. It's a very serious conversation that I had to have with my own leadership. Um, but the best part about it is they were all super, super supportive um, of where I wanted to go back to. And that was being on the front side of the aviation business. Because if I couldn't fly at the time, you know, I wanted to be, you know, um, at least a part of the product. So after my year um, was up, I applied uh, to go back to Bell 
uh, and to Textron Aviation because the fixed wing side also intrigued me very much. Uh, and of course, anything that flies, uh, I wanted to be a part of. And fortunately, I got hired to go back to Bell. Um, and this was a wonderful opportunity for me, and I took it in a heartbeat because I was getting closer to the product. You know, I was getting closer to the customer. I was getting back to the areas that I was super passionate about, and that was the operations and the specific aircraft themselves. Um, and to me at the time, this was probably one of the smartest career decisions I had, I mean, I had made. Um, you know, looking back, my performance took a serious upgrade. I was happy. Um, I was doing the things that I was passionate about. It was driving my work. It was driving my work at my work ethic. Um, and things really improved for me. And I mean, let's be honest, guys, like it's really funny how your performance takes a serious boost when you're actually doing things that you seriously love. I mean, it's just true. It's kind of weird, right? Every rea- every action has a reaction. Um, so every good action has a good reaction. Uh, and that was true for me. So a couple years into my wife and I living in DFW and me working at Bell for now the second time, um, there still was this looming thing that I had sitting over me because I hadn't told anyone about what I had done with the package that I had created for the Navy um, to go into the aviation, uh, you know, to submit an aviation package. So I had to be upfront and honest about it uh, with my wife because I still had a genuine interest in flying for the Navy because, A, I scored super well and I had never done well on an aviation or uh, a standardized test ever before. B, I wanted to fly. There's just no doubt about it. And C, they would train me to fly, which was another plus. I mean, not having to pay for it uh, was very, very interesting. And D, and this was a big part, you know, because it takes a lot to send in a package like that and make a decision. But I thoroughly enjoyed serving, um, you know, being a servant. Uh, and the thought of serving my country, it really, really clicked with me at the time uh, because that's just what I enjoyed as a person. So, lo and behold, <laughs> uh, the conversation didn't go as planned. Uh with the family and her because I kept everybody in the dark about it and I didn't tell anyone about it um, for many, many years. Um, but I kept, you know, by everybody, you know, it was why. Why did you do that? Why did you make that decision? Um, but ultimately, it boiled down because I've wanted to fly my whole life and because I had a passion of serving and helping others. And that's true today. Um, I thoroughly enjoy volunteering. I mean, coming up here on Friday, I'm doing a special event. Uh, with the Team Tebow Foundation. I mean, I just have a thorough passion um, of serving and being, you know, a servant leader. Um, so all this, you know, all this stuff kind of clicked with me. Um, you know, and that's what drove me, you know, wanting to be a servant leader was what drove me to the Navy side. Uh, and they had a lot more opportunities to fly as well. Um, but after a lot of talks with my family and my wife, I ultimately decided that I really did enjoy the job I had. Um, I loved all the people I worked with at Bell. I loved the products that we sold, uh, the people that I you know, worked with on the sales side and the marketing side. I was just happy. I was happy with where I was at. You know? um, I was happy with where you know, my career was going and the opportunities that I was getting. But I was still missing a piece uh, to the puzzle that I thought, I don't know, I just felt like I could never get. Um, and that's kind of where my family 
um, stepped in and kind of got 100% on board with me. Um, and they also just, they said, you know what, let's go, why don't you go get your pilot's license? That's obviously what you want to do. And so just like that, after a long, you know, long trials and tribulations of holding this in and kind of being a stuffer, you know, as my counselor would say, um, I was finally going to make a childhood dream come true. And this was an awesome opportunity. I mean, this is something that I wanted to do since I was a little tiny kid making paper airplanes. Now we fast forward to July 2018, and I got my private pilot's license now. So the moral of the story, and everybody, you know, I'm 28. Um, I'm not that old. I'm still young. Um, but the moral of the story that I have for all of you is, you know, kind of up to the point of where I got my license, is you need to try multiple things in order to find that one thing that you're super, super passionate about. And that one thing that you feel like you can do forever, because when you find that thing that you can do forever, you've found the path that you should be on for pretty much the rest of your life. If you're just working, uh, you know, working to work or you're dreading work, you're probably in the wrong place in your life and you're really hurting yourself by just staying put. Because if you really aren't happy, the likelihood of you being <laughs> happy in a year is pretty much slim to none. Um, it's very hard to go the other way around. If you're not, not you know, 100% happy with you where you're at and you're questioning a little bit, you know, maybe there's some thought, uh, some thoughts there that you need to, uh, to rethink. But a lot, you know, I went through a lot, you know, up until the point where I got my pilot's license. But to be honest, guys, like it never would have happened, um, you know, if I wouldn't have gotten all these different experiences and, you know, maybe looking back on it, if I didn't have these experiences, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I wouldn't have my pilot's license. I wouldn't be flying. I wouldn't be making connections within the aviation industry um, without all these experiences. So, you know, for me, the advice that I have through all this is you got to find that thing that you're passionate about. You got to stick with it. You can't give up. And a big, big, big one is surround yourself with like-minded people. And if you do that, you'll be amazed at the places you can go. I promise you that. And the last thing, the last thing I have is do not ever take a job just because it pays well. That's going to be the biggest mistake you ever make because if you're in a job that pays super well and you once become happy with it, you're going to feel super guilty about it. And you're probably going to fall into a, uh, a dirty trap where you built a lifestyle around that single job. And when you want to, tr when you want to leave it, you're going to have to find something that matches that to keep up with the lifestyle of it. And it's going to be hard to go back. So I tell all of you because, you know, I fell, I fell into the trap too. Don't take a job just because it pays super well. I'm telling you, it doesn't work. So even if you get paid and you're miserable, um, you're really doing yourself a disservice uh, to you, to your psyche, um, or whatever. So when you find that one thing you love you'll have no problem finding a way or figuring out a way how you're going to make money in it uh, down the line. And I say down the line because it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of experience. It's, it's going to take a lot of failure uh, in order to get where you want to be. Um, so I warn you, you need to be patient. You need to try multiple things. Uh, you need to make mistakes. You need to go through the pain uh, and the trouble uh, and everything in order to finally figure out where you want to go. I promise that's probably how it's going to go. 
So I know everybody, that's kind of a crazy story so far, but I, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm taking a wild assumption that you like it. I hope you like it because uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, and I told you all it was going to be pretty interesting. But you're probably wanting to know now how my flight training actually went. Okay, Colin, that's a great story, you know, leading up to that and how you got to it. You went through a lot. Uh, you had to make some big decisions. You know, you didn't make some decisions. But okay, that's great. How did the training actually go? You know, my flight training personally was actually kind of long uh, and sporadic. You know, I had to hold a full-time job. I was here in North Texas. I started in the wintertime. If anybody knows about the winter here in North Texas, the weather can get pretty crazy, flat out. Um, so I started my license in December, and I didn't get it back till, uh, or I didn't get it back. I didn't get my license till July. So if you do the math, everybody, that's about eight months of work. Uh, so all in all, nothing great comes quick. Um, if you hold a full-time job and you're, you know, you got bills to pay, you got mortgage, you got rent, and you have to hold a full-time job, you're probably going to need to budget yourself uh, a little more time. Because if you try to get it done within a month, that's going to be super, super hard. Now, if you're a full-time student, um, that could be possible. And because of that, you know, I decided to take the Part 61 route because this was just going to allow me to kind of do it on my own time and do it on a, uh, a syllabus that kind of catered to the best way uh, for me to learn, you know, not just following Part 141 that has to follow the FAA rules. And you can get the private pilot's license done a lot quicker if you go part 141 uh, or to a part 141 school, excuse me. But it's just so structured for me and holding the job, you know, it, just to me that didn't fit my bill of how I wanted to do this uh, and how I wanted to be flexible. And speaking of bills, everybody, part 141 schools are more expensive Um <laughs> And, you know, they could almost be double the cost of what it will be to go the 61 route. Now, if you go the 61 route and you want to save money, you got to be devoted. You have to be devoted to studying. You got to do what your instructor tells you to do. Because if you don't, then you ultimately, you might end up paying just as much as a part 141 school is because it's going to take you a lot more hours because you didn't devote the time. So if you've taken my any of my advice from maybe some previous episodes, I, I released some episodes called how to pay for flying, you'll understand uh, more about what I mean um, and how maybe you could save uh, some money during flight training. So be it as expensive or cheap as you want to get, you know, it's up to you to make the connections in the aviation world that could save you money because that's exactly what I did. Uh, and I'm super thankful for doing it that way. I really am. I mean, I was blessed to work with somebody who ended up being my flight instructor. Um, and I was blessed to have a very good friend uh, who hooked me up uh, with a plane that had a very, very good rate at it compared to some of the flight schools. So because I built the connections and I built the relationships, you know, this helped me save money. And not only that, but these same connections also pushed me to make sure that I was doing a good job uh, in training. So I'm super thankful uh, for everything that happened the way it did uh, during my private even though it may have taken a little longer than I originally wanted to. So training itself went really, really well. Um, I took an online ground school, bought supplies off Amazon, um, and literally I did anything that could save me money uh, because let's face it, you know, a lot of your money is going to be actually going to the flying portion uh, of paying your instructor uh, and paying for the actual plane. So I, you know, I tried to save as much money in the background as I could so I could fully devote my time 
uh, to having good instruction and having a good, uh, safe plane. Let's just, you know, let's just flat out be honest, right? Like fly, flying is just expensive. Like even if you do get it cheap, it's still expensive in the end. Um, the ground school that I did online, it worked really well for me. Um, obviously it did good enough for me because I passed very well, uh, on the four, uh, on my first try on the written. Um, so that was good. So, you know, if you can study on your own and you want to go part uh, 61, I highly recommend, uh, one of the ground schools cause you, it's like 140 bucks and you study and you do it all, uh, and helped you pass. So you don't have to do the ground school either with your instructor or go to a school, do the ground school, do a weekend ground school. You know, it's going to save you a little bit of money that way, but you have to be devoted to actually studying. Um, but here is where more of the trials, uh, trials and tribulations come in. You know, I got all the way through training and it was great. But now it was time to get ready for my check ride. And the check ride's a big deal, you know, because this is where you're going to get your license. And to me, I thought I was ready. I reviewed all the material. I went through um, all my practice practicals uh, with my instructor, went through practice tests, uh, went through the testing material. And I even went on some final flights uh, with my instructor. Uh, and I flat out thought I was ready. Now, if I can take a step back, you know, Flying is not free. Um, there's obviously some big financial investments like I was talking earlier. Um, you know, because I was able to take the 61 route, you know, I if you take the part 141 route, you have the ability to take out certain loans because it's a structured setting and banks are more willing to, uh, to loan you money if you want to take that route. But most of those are full-time schools. So you probably couldn't hold a full-time job if you wanted to do it that route. Um... But unless you go out and you get a bank loan, if you go the Part 161 route, there aren't student loans that you can get for flying if you go the Part 161 route. You're basically going out to a bank and getting a personal loan. Personal loans come with personal loan rates. And let me tell you, that's not fun. And being in debt with a bank just does not seem pretty to me. So you're going to ask, well, how did you pay for flying, Colin? Like, that's great. So, okay, so, you know, you have all this. Well, how'd you pay for it? And I'll tell you, it was a culmination of a few things. First off, um, because I went to my family and told them the, the dreams and aspirations that I wanted to achieve, they knew I couldn't handle this all myself. Uh, you know, I had a mortgage, I had other bills to pay, um, I had my car. There were a lot of stuff that I was responsible for, um, but they saw the passion and they saw the drive uh, right right away. So it wasn't even a factor for them. Um, so, so I could afford my licenses uh, because of a few things I did. A, I didn't buy a bunch of stupid stuff, so I was able to put some of my personal money uh, towards my flying endeavors, and it took time. Two, um, this was kind of an interesting thing I started doing, and I talked about it in one of these uh, How to Pay for Flying episodes, but I started picking things up and reselling them, and I used the profits of just reselling these things uh, to also fund my flying. Basically, I was picking up stuff for free that I found on Craigslist, um, on the side of the road, in my neighborhood, um, or people just giving stuff away for free because people do that uh, and they give away great stuff. Um, and I was reselling it for a profit and thus was able to put some of that money to flying. Um, and that's another way of paying for flying. And if you want any other um, you know, tips or tricks, uh, make sure you go back to those episodes uh, because they're really, really good, really quick uh, and super uh, simple to understand. And the last thing that I did was I made a deal with my family that they would basically loan me a portion of the money that I needed. But the kicker, 
I had to pay all the money back at an agreed upon uh, interest rate between them and I. Now, here's the difference between, you know, going this route versus going with a bank. I now only have to pay my family back and I'm responsible to them. I'm not responsible to a bank, which being responsible to a bank, you can affect your credit score. uh, You can affect a lot of things, but being responsible to your family, um, it actually motivated me a little bit more uh, as well. So now I'm responsible to them versus being responsible to a bank uh, or somebody else. So this was able to help me get through uh, flight school. So now let's go back to the check ride day. Um, And I passed the oral with flying colors. Um, You know, I did well, uh, even though the DPE, you know, wanted to give me a hard time. But, you know, they try to rally you a little bit. Um, So moving over to the aircraft, everything was going great until we got about 30 minutes into the flight. And the DPE asked me to go into a maneuver. And I did the maneuver properly, and I thought it was great. And I missed one very small key part. I forgot to do a clearing turn before the maneuver. And this ultimately caused me to fail the check ride. And just like that, boop, a couple hundred bucks out the window. Just like that, fuel man, pay pay a bunch of money to put gas in the engine. It just burns up. And after this, you know, I was pretty down on myself, you know, because the whole test was going well until that moment. Um, and I learned that in those types of moments in aviation, those are really the moments that, you know, if you miss the small things, that could either mean your life or death for you or your passengers. It's just the slimmest mistake. And it took me a while uh, to get up from that failure because I'd worked really, really hard throughout all of my training. You know, but luckily, aviation is filled with very supportive people. I got some great responses uh, when I admitted out on my Instagram stories that I didn't pass my first check ride and that I wasn't happy about it. Um, but the cool thing was is I then got a DM from a military aviator that was uh, a follower of mine. And he gave me some serious words of encouragement that really, really helped me. Um, he kind of knew what I was, well, he basically knew what I was going through. Uh, he knew what I was feeling in that moment. So he made me look at the situation in a completely different manner, and I was super thankful for it. You know, he told me that I literally had nothing to worry about and that I should keep my head up. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, this was hard. You know, I got to redo this. And then he sat there and he told me, he goes, you know, even in the military, some of the best aviators have failed check rides before. And that you just got to get up. You got to refresh yourself. You got to go back. You got to study quick. You got to go practice. And then you got to get back in that seat. He reminded me that it's just a part of the process and, you know, it's another reason why attrition from aviation is so high because if you fail something, a lot of people don't go back to it because, oh, I failed, I'm not going to pass it. Nope, you got to get back in the saddle and you got to go for it. Um, You know, and maybe that's just some of the reasons why people can't pass check rides is because they're just, after they fail once, they're just scared. So with the encouragement that I got... Uh, from him and some other people out there on the Instagram world uh, after I had revealed that I didn't do well on the first check ride, I took my second check ride past with flying colors uh, and it was awesome. You know, it sucked that I had to pay for another check ride, but it was an experience that I learned a lot from. Um, I took a lot away from it and it's one I don't regret at all. Do I regret the money? Of course. But, you know, in aviation, if you're not learning something new every time you go up, not doing something right and you should probably start learning and really checking your work so just like that after 20 plus years after a failed check ride 
Um, after wanting to become an aviator for my whole life, I finally achieved the dream I wanted to for so long. And to be honest, guys, like I don't think you'll understand of how bittersweet it really, really tasted. But don't worry, those dreams haven't stopped. I'm, you know, I have my eyes on the next prize, which is my instrument and commercial rating. And now I have the new goal of completing these by the end of the year. That's a big goal. It's going to happen. I'm super stoked, but uh, I know there's a lot of work uh, that I have to put into it. So just like I made my private happen, I know I'm going to make my my instrument and my my commercial rating happen uh, as well. So I'm super, super stoked um, going into this. Uh, It's going to be a lot of work, Um, but I'm ready for it. I'm ready for the journey. So though my story, you know, it's got a lot of twists and turns, you know, to be honest, everybody, it came down to executing on a dream. At first, I didn't know how to communicate that dream, and it led to a lot of, you know, decisions doing different things. But in that process, I got to understand who I was and understand what I wanted to do. Um, And I did that. And even though it may have taken, you know, a lot of time to actually get to where I wanted to go, uh, you know, I got there and I was patient. And I've also learned, you know, through this whole process, that you can't look back at your past and literally regret everything you did. Um, instead of regretting things, you know, you have to, um, you kind of got to look back on stuff and just kind of turn your thinking around because I could have regretted a lot of the stuff that I chose to do and a lot of the decisions that I made. Um, and could I have regretted everything? Yep, I could. But instead, I looked back at it all, basically, and it was an experience and it was learning opportunities um, that I now will be able to make future decisions on um, and hopefully make the right decision instead of making the wrong decision. So your past, it's not really regretting. It's just taking those experiences and learning for your future. So if you're listening to this message, if you've listened to my story, you know, the one thing I would say is make sure you follow your heart and what you want to do. That's super important. Um, And if you're not following your heart, I'm going to ask you to um, because it could change your perspective on a lot of things. And luckily when you're young, I'm still young. You know, a lot of you out there are still young. You got a lot of time. Like literally time is on our side. Um, And your decisions don't have to be made perfect. Like when you're young, you know, being young is the time to try a lot of things. It's the time to make mistakes because that's when you need to learn. Um, But you have to deploy patience in this because it's not going to happen overnight. You know, you're trying to pursue pursue a dream and make things happen. Like I said, it's going to take a long time to do it. It's not just going to happen overnight. It's going to take a lot of work. So with this story, you know, if you're listening and you're trying to pursue a career in aviation um, or you want to be a pilot or an AMP mechanic, you know, guess what? This is legitimately the perfect time uh, to do it. Are there requirements? Yes. Is it going to take you time to accomplish this? Yes. Uh, is it going to take a significant investment maybe on your part? Yes, it will. Um, but is the long-term payout in your future and the happiness that you feel uh, with these dreams, with you wanting to be in aviation, is the happiness on your side? Yes, it really, really is. You know, guys, the shortage in the aviation uh, world, it's real. It's not fake. It's not something you've you know that's been made up. Um, and I've already had multiple guests on the show that have said this exact thing. And to prove this even more, you know, I just actually heard this from a work colleague that the Air Force is almost 2,000 pilots short of where they need to be 
And they're literally asking retired officers, younger retired officers and airmen to literally come out of retirement and what they are doing out there in the private world. Um, so they can staff these positions. So the people that are on staff, to, um, you know, uh, positions, they can go back to their flying duties because they can't find enough pilots, skilled pilots, um, to work. And the reason why I say I know this is because this colleague is one of those folks going back into the Air Force to take a position uh, as a staff officer. So that officer and the group of can go back to flying duties. And this was really, really interesting. And it's crazy about this because I know there's a lot of people out there like this. But my colleague's response was this. He goes, when your country calls, I'll always be willing to go back and help. And that was super, super interesting. I mean, this guy is a really, really incredible guy. Um, works super hard, has done a lot of successful things um, at our company. Um, but the call is back to him, and he understands it, um, and it's a, it's a two-year commitment. Um, but I really, really applauded him uh, on that. I think it's really cool that he's doing that. But it just, it just underscores the need uh, for people in aviation. It, it just really does. So I know that was a really, really long story. Uh, I know there were a lot of twists and turns, uh, and maybe you followed it, maybe you didn't, maybe you took a few things um, out of it, or maybe you just heard a good story and you just enjoyed listening to it. Um, But I hope you did enjoy listening to it. And I mean, that's really how I got into aviation and why I decided to pursue my pilot's license. And I'm really, really excited here in the future to continue working on that. You know, I love business, I love flying. And to be honest, I don't think I'm ever in my life going to leave the aviation space. I mean, that's kind of what it means to me. And to be honest, I also can't wait for the opportunities that maybe will uh, pop up once I achieve the commercial rating. Um, What most people don't understand um, is a lot of people in our business, you know, they're not in this for the money. Like this is literally people are in this industry because they love it. And they can't picture themselves pretty much doing anything else. And this is why I think the aviation field is so special. This is why it means a lot to me. This is why I wanted to be in it. And this is why I wanted to be a pilot for so long. Because of just uh, truly all the incredible opportunities that just await people uh, in this business. So I tell you, everybody, if you have any more questions about the story, you know, how I got to where I am today, where I went, the trials, tribulations, any questions, anything you can think of. Um, how I navigated this whole business so far in my young career um, or how I attained my licenses, you know, don't be afraid to go over to social media. Like I said, DM me and let's talk. I love talking to different people. I love chatting it up, uh, chopping it up, you know, answering questions, giving tips, you know, anything, just talking about random stuff. You know, it's just like, you know, I enjoy doing that because, you know, just like my podcast, you know, I wanted this podcast to be an avenue for other people to ask those questions and get them answered. You know, I want it to be a public forum. Um, So use me as a source of information and I'll literally, I mean, try to help you the best I can. Um, You know, I'm not, I don't have full experience. I don't have 20 years of experience, but I do have a little bit of experience. Um, And if you're just trying to start out, you know, I've went through the process. I can help you, um, you know, calm down. I can help you through it, you know, just ask me anything, really, because I want to help other young aviators, you know, just like myself, um, because many aviators have helped me. And, you know, as you're as the torch is passed to you, you have to pass the torch to somebody else. And the only way you can do that is by helping them. 
So don't be afraid to reach out, everybody. You know, I'm a direct message away. Get a hold of me. Ask your question. Um, I'm happy to talk. I've gotten a lot of messages lately, um, and I answer every single one. So uh, shoot me a DM if you have a question, uh, and I look forward uh, to talking to you. Because I tell you guys, you know, I've said this in a lot of different episodes, and a lot of the guests have repeated it. You never know the relationships you'll be able to build inside the aviation space, but you have to get out and you have to just talk to people. That's what you have to do. You have to put in the work. So with that, with that long, crazy story, with my long, um, strung out journey through this aviation world and kind of where I am now um, as a private pilot and going into my instrument rating, we've reached the end of episode 31. Um, but everyone, I really hope this story helps some folks. I really hope it helped maybe you or helped answer a question for you or gave you a better understanding of who I am, you know, cause this is my truth and it doesn't have to be your truth, but I just hope it, you know, there were pieces in there, um, that you could take away or it, it helped you. And like I said before, don't forget, make sure you head over to the iTunes podcast app, Give the podcast a rating. Leave your honest feedback um, and put your comments in. Because, guys, like I keep saying, your comments, your you know your stuff, the what you think is going to help me continue growing this podcast. Because I'm already stunned by the amount um, of comments and messages that I get, um, and I'm starting to get the ratings now not on the iTunes. But this is helping us produce uh, new and better content. And hopefully help you. So if there's something that you need help with, make sure you let me know. Uh, and we'll try to fit it into a upcoming uh, podcast. Because like I said, the only way that I can grow uh, is with your growth um, and investment in the podcast. So everyone, thank you so much for tuning in and listening this week. Um, you know, I need to get going. It's an important week. Uh, hopefully we'll have another great episode for you next week. Not sure if we're going to fit in another Ask the Ab Geek show. We might. But you'll just have to wait and you'll have to tune in. Um, you'll have to tune in next week. So I hope everyone has a blessed week. Hope everyone has a good week. Remember, if you have a question, please reach out to me over on social media. You can reach out to me at Hodge, H-O-D-G-E underscore C-H-E on all social channels. Uh, and let me know your question. And then we will see you next time on the next episode of the Ab Geek Chronicles podcast. See ya. Let's go.